you very much, Florian Choir. That's very beautiful. We look around the world today, and the powerful, they rule the earth. The history of humanity has consisted of people trying to subjugate others into their control. And why? And I ask this question to myself many times. Is this the fate of the world, where the powerful rule, while others suffer or do what they can just to get a piece of the crumbs? So when St. Paul says in today's passage that for those of us being saved, the message of the cross is the power of God, what's he talking about? I'd like to reflect on that today. Um, Reverend Kim asked me to you know, share a little bit too about a trip to Cuba that Pastor Dave and I took recently. We had the privilege of going there as part of our study at Knox College. And it, it was a short trip, one week, but it was a trip that sparked so many thoughts and reflections and I'm still processing right now. Uh, one thing I really learned about what mission is, is uh, uh, real mission is just an encounter. And actually through an encounter with something that's different uh, and from what you're familiar with, it actually sparks a lot of reflection in yourself. And uh, through that process, it makes you more humble and alive to uh, what the world is more about. So that's what happened. On the last day there, we visited an art gallery, a local art gallery. And uh, in the art gallery, there were uh, sculptures uh, produced by this famous Cuban artist. His name is Osmany Belancourt Falcon, otherwise known as Lolo. And so I have a picture here. In the first sculpture, we see the head of a man. He's being stomped on by many boots. But if you look at his face, he's still smiling. The next uh, sculpture, we see the head of this man. He's being cut, he's being squeezed, he's being pressed from all sides. But if you look at his face closely, there's still a smile on his face. So to me, art, without me having to articulate it, it really does epitomize quite vividly, I think, the experience of the Cuban people. Cubans, they've been through so much. They've endured so much. I mean, I don't have time here to go through an entire history lesson. But, but yet, through all this, They've come through it with a vibrancy in their souls that's reflected in their music, in their rhythms, in their art, and their dancing. So for one thing, live bands are everywhere. Uh, we stayed, uh, for the first three nights, we were in Havana, and we stayed at a hotel there. And, uh, and the there was a live band in the lobby. And we enjoyed the music with uh, some drinks, and uh, uh, when the music got a little lively, the local Cubans, they'd start dancing, and one night, they came to us, these Canadian Knox students, and, and like pulled us up to start dancing. You could clearly tell who were the Canadians and who were the Cubans. We lacked the hip uh, mo mobility. But it was fun. I mean, you know, that kind of hospitality and warmth. And one thing that really stood out is you see art everywhere. There's paintings, drawings, sculptures. And it, it was a big contrast to here, where I, I realized we don't really see that much art. Um, the art we see is the commercialized art for branding purposes, but not that free expression. 
Well, one observation that I had uh, was that I think there's a struggle at this moment in their, in their uh, state, stage where they're trying to keep the human being at the center while trying to access more of the material benefits that capitalism can offer. So I sense that Cuba is at a transition point where choices have to be made about what direction they go. And some of the conversations I had, I think, illustrate some of these choices. So at the art gallery, I spoke to a young curator who shared with me a struggle that a lot of young people face in Cuba. They can choose a career through which they can help people uh, because education is free there and you can become like a professional and you can get a PhD for, for free and you can go and get, get into helping profession but you'll make a very meager salary. Or you can go to, a, go to one of those resorts, get a job there and make more money than you would have ever, ever dreamed of with all the tourist money that comes in. We met some seminary students there uh, where we stayed uh, a few hours away from Havana. Now the, these people impress me. They're, they're young. They're 19, 20 years old. They're undergrads. But they study full-time during the week, Monday to Friday. And then on weekends, they trek out to, to their various ministries across the island. Because there's a big shortage of, of pastors in Cuba. Many have already left and emigrated to the United States. Uh, so there's a shortage. So they are the ministers for their churches. But here's the thing. Hardly anyone has cars. There's no credit system, and so you need to pay a lump sum for a car, so no one has a car. So they take the bus, they hitchhike, they go by any means necessary to their, their locales. So admirable. And one of the students was sharing, you know, his mother is a professional psychologist at a hospital in Havana. So very educated, helping profession. She makes 30 US dollars a month. How can you afford anything? When we were at the hotel lobby, we were like, oh, $2 drinks, sweet, right? It's so cheap. But after all this, I realized, well, that's a lot of money for Cubans. So what does the future hold for Cuba? Will they be able to maintain their vibrant humanity as capitalism keeps encroaching into their daily life? So I wonder, and I pray for the future of the country. Yeah, one aspect of, uh, for it was a funny thing, was being in Cuba, it really made me think a lot about just our Korean history itself. I saw a lot of striking parallels. And I do hope to reflect more on that uh, another day, another time. In the era of the Roman Empire, Roman power, it was absolute. Once they decided to conquer an area, its aim was complete submission of that region. They would tolerate no dissent or absolutely no agitation for independence. And they came up with a system devised to instill terror into the hearts of those who might even think of rebelling against this absolute power. And this system was implemented to exert complete social control. This system it was crucifixion. Crucifixion was meant to tell the defeated and subjugated group that resistance it really was utterly futile and that they were powerless to resist. And if they even tried, 
terror would sweep upon them. So in other words, crucifixion was a message to the powerless group that this is your place, don't try to be otherwise. And this is how the Romans enforced their Pax Romana, Roman peace. Roman peace through force and subjugation and, and terror. God, God came into this world, this is according to our Christian faith and tradition, God came into this world and suffered the ultimate form of powerlessness and God was crushed by the power of this world. God was crucified. God chose to suffer as the weak and crushed of this world suffer. God and Jesus did not choose the path of power and glory as the world understands it. And here's the other thing that the uh, Roman system of crucifixion did. It scared people from banding together and supporting others who were suffering. So the message was, okay, if you don't want to love us, you don't have to. But try to get together and do anything, and you'll be utterly crushed. For us today, I think we all know there is so much suffering and injustice that goes on in the world. And yeah, being there in Cuba, uh, listening to different things, I realize there, in the broader world, there's so much injustice and suffering. And we see things on the news all the time. And yet, I think we find ourselves often very numb to it. Or we might have a momentary feeling of compassion, but then we move on. I think we are, it's very difficult for us to be in true solidarity with those who do suffer. So why is this the case? Again, being in Cuba and seeing the transitions they are going through and the choices they have to make, it made me realize something. It made me, being in a different context just made me realize how much in North America we're utterly captive to the power of capitalism. Without even knowing it, the values of capital, capitalism have pervaded every aspect of our daily living. What it does is it keeps us focused on ourselves and prevents us from banding together in true solidarity with others who might be suffering. The Romans had a slogan that they used, peace and security. And this is the slogan they used to justify their domination. So there's a quote from a, a biblical scholar. Everywhere that Rome makes an appearance, the provision of peace and security is made to justify the loss of autonomy and more than compensate for all the initial terrors. This was the strategy that Rome used. So I reflected on this quote and it started to make me think about our context today. So what I did was I replaced the word Rome with capitalism. And uh, I think so. And I replaced a few words. Everywhere that capitalism makes an appearance, the provision of, so instead of peace and security, I replaced it with the provision of financial and material well-being is made to justify the loss of autonomy and more than compensate for all the initial terrors. I kept those other two words and I'll explain why. Financial and material well-being, it justifies the loss of our autonomy. Let's ask ourselves an honest question. If you did not have to really do your job, 
to make money, would you be doing it? I think there's maybe a few who would say, yes, I love what I do, this is me, and that's, that's great. But I know for many people, the answer is no. We are, if you think about it, in bondage to the jobs that provide the financial and material well-being. And what do I mean by to compensate for all the initial terrors? What I mean by that is, and when I, you know, uh, in my ministry with young people too, during the course of trying to figure out what we're going to do, we have to often make radical changes in ourselves, in who we are, so that we can fit into the system. I mean, as, in, as an example, I remember in middle school, I moved to a brand new area. This was a very affluent area, and I came from a very different area. I felt like a fish out of water. I mean, I had to learn how they talk, learn how they walk, literally, you know. Uh, and, and it was, it's like a violent change within yourself that you have to make to adjust psychologically. Same with when you get into the professional world. There were norms, uh, social norms, behavioral norms, things like that. You just, you have to learn and pick up, even if it doesn't feel natural or your skin, you have to make that adjustment. And often these are internally violent changes in yourself. I mean, I used a funny example once, you know, uh, I, I, I see some young Koreans kicking it back at a sojibang, you know, and they're themselves. They're laughing, you know, drinking, talking, and then they go to karaoke, sing songs. That's them. But then uh, uh, flip it the next day at a professional function for like uh, Bay Street people, and it's an entirely different person. Do you know what I mean? These are the kind of internal violent changes that we have to make. But we justify these initial terrors with the financial material well-being. Because that is what I need to do, that's what I got to do. And I justify it. So what it is, this system, it keeps us captive. I think it makes us numb to the suffering of others. And it keeps us focused on ourselves and our immediate families or communities. And this is what I realized. I think we're just... As um, in Roman times, there were visible victims of that system. We too are victims in many ways of the system. I talk to our young people weekly, and the same struggles. I need to study hard, I need to do this. In order to succeed, I don't want to be a failure. This system is just less visible. There's no visible, explicit oppression. But there is something that holds us captive. And I realized that cross that uh, was a symbol of terror in Roman times, you know what that cross is today? The cross can appear as having no job, no money, not being able to afford the things that you, that you need, not being useful. So where is the hope? Do we run away from this system or do we try to topple it? I don't think either is the solution. See, when Jesus died on the cross, nothing about the raw power of the Roman Empire changed. It was just as powerful as before, if not even more. But something else changed. No longer did the ways and values of the empire have any hold on Jesus. Jesus resurrected. And with the resurrection, Jesus announced the coming of a new age. This, was an, this would be an age when love, self-giving, humility, and
and justice would reign. This age was not here yet, nor is it here yet. But that resurrection, it points to the ultimate destination of God's creation. That's the hope. But why does there have to be such enormous suffering in the meantime, before God's reign comes? Honestly, I don't know. And I do ask myself that all the time. I mean, to me, the suffering in the world demonstrates the reality of sin in this world. And to ignore human sin, I think is to be naive about it. But the good news is that even though we have suffered this violence in our souls of trying to adapt and survive, you know what the good news is? Tomorrow, it can be a better day. That is the hope of the resurrection. This system, it crushes our souls, but yet, with Christ, we rise up for a better day. No longer do we let the system suck life out of our souls, but with Christ, we rise up into a new life of joy, abundance, and fullness. We live in this world, but we no longer buy into the values of it like self-centeredness. Instead, we now live by God's values of love, justice, and solidarity with others who are weak, like us. God chose to side with those who are weak. God takes on the powerlessness of those who suffer great injustices. God takes on our helplessness in this capitalistic system we live in. God forms us together in communities based on new values. And that is what the church is. The church is an alternative community where the core principles of love, self-giving, and solidarity with the weak are paramount. Even though in the world the powerful seem more powerful than ever, we press on with the hope that God will have the final triumph. And so, while life is challenging in its day-to-day, -day, we can endure. So St. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. So I pray for the future of Cuba. I pray for this world, and especially those who suffer at the hands of the powerful. And I also pray for all those of us who are victims of the system and suffer from the stress or low self-confidence of trying to succeed in it. God will be victorious in the end. In the meantime, we strive with every ounce of our being to work toward the world that God envisions. Let us all together imagine this new world and work toward it with God's power. Let us sing together.